0: All right. Well, hey, good morning. My name is Mark. I'm the executive pastor here. I want to welcome you also. Um, I, I don't know if you've been tracking with us through this this series, but um, last few weeks, this is the, the fourth part. And um, you know, we've been talking about what it looks like to, to, to reconstruct, to really uh, maybe strip the the thoughts of our our faith the, the the core principles kind of strip it down to its its bare bones and then build it back up what are those those critical parts and we've just had some really good discussions on the way home uh, at, at my home uh, with the people that i 'm tied with It seems like it's it's connecting I know for me there's been some just some some clarity and uh, and i've Debated like what is what is the thing? Why? these are these are core things. These are things that we talk about. You know, if you've if you've been around church much at all, you've you've talked about these these principles. I mean, Charlie shared with us: God is good and He loves us. Uh, you know, we're we're the ones that broke the world. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the answer. I mean, those are, those are things that we, we kind of know. So what is it? And um, and it seems like a big piece of that is just that Charlie has been calling out some of those those big questions. And, uh, and even given permission, which I think a lot of times, at least in my story, maybe I didn't feel the freedom to, to ask some of those questions, the obvious questions. Like, well, that's true, but what about this, 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 and this? And, um, and just the freedom that our God isn't afraid to be asked questions. <laughs> he's big enough. He's big enough. He's not worried about being put on the hot seat. You can, you can put him there and ask him the questions, and he's big enough. Uh, he doesn't get, you know... Uh, worried about that, anxious about that, and then also that there really are our, our God is big enough that there are some truths that are, that are big enough that my little finite brain can't like, you know really fully understand. And there's some of those things. There's some of those things too that He's that big. That He's not. A, he's not afraid to answer the questions. And then He's also there's some truths that are just too big for us. Um, and I, and I think also these, these in particular things, these are the things for me and in my personal journey of faith that, that really did when I, when I felt the freedom to start asking questions. These are some of the very topics that really, really pressed me forward. You know, that first one, uh, God uh, is good and he loves us. I mean, I remember when a, a close friend of mine at, at age 20 died and it, it, it broke me and it made me question. Okay, so there's this all-powerful, good God who loves us. Well, what do I do with this? Or when uh, when Terry and I were really wanting to have children, and it felt like everyone around us was having no problems, and we were struggling with infertility, uh, the question is, well, well hold, on, hold on, God is, God is good, and, and He loves us, and yet this, I can't seem to reconcile this, you know? Um, the idea that that sin is the problem, you know, I I had grown up and had picked up this idea, whether it was ever said or whether I just picked it up, that really my uh, beh- behavioral, uh, behavioral mod- modification, you know, if there's uh, the moral standard and if I can keep the moral standard, then basically there's this practical karma, even though I was a part of the church, that I was, I was practically living out. And the real heart issues of sin and what it did to my relationship with God and that it was in me uh, I, I, I really, I didn't get that. I was always pointing the finger and pointing down at all the, the things that I was doing right and they were doing wrong and, and comparing myself with people instead of comparing myself with a, with a holy God. Uh, the idea of Jesus being the only answer. Because like Charlie was talking about at governor's school, I was encountering many, many friends and even had begun to travel a little bit and, and see and meet people in other places. And there were other answers on the table, and yet Jesus is claiming to be the only answer to this problem. You know, these, these questions and not running from them and running towards them really helped to deepen my faith. And so I think it's big for us. The other thing is just uh, trying to remove the fog, you know, and there are some questions that we could go chase, and they're good questions, and there are some good dilemmas that, man, it would be good to have great, great discussion on, but let's not get, you know, distracted so much that we forget about the core, because sometimes that happens, and then, and then we miss the core. I, uh, I thought about that this week, because, you know, the snow day that we had, or whatever you want to call that, uh, it, um, yeah, there was, uh, we were sitting in front of the fireplace in the house, and I was thinking about this, and you know, it would be as if, sometimes when we get distracted, it would be as if Terry and I are sitting there, and she says, hey, it'd be nice to have a fire, and I would say, well, the Peterson's house burned down last year. And just sit there. Yeah, but it would, be, it would be nice to have a fire. Yeah, but the cost of firework wood has gone up three times. Okay. Hey, it'd be nice to have a fire. Yeah, but we really probably next year need to have the chimney sweep come. Okay. I mean, it's not that any of those topics are wrong or untrue or don't need to be discussed. But why are we sitting here freezing in the cold? We could just start the fire. And then we can have that discussion in the presence of a warm room with a, with a nice fire, right? These, these, these core truths, these are the, the fire. And then we can talk about everything else in context of these core truths. And so that's what we're trying to, to, trying to do here today. And as we take this step forward, now you're talking about a a God who's good and he loves us. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the answer. And so now you're moving forward to a place where now you've got people that have either embraced that and have been rescued, redeemed, dare I say saved. The lost have been found. The blind can now see. And now there's something with those, those people, us, What do we do in our relationship with God moving forward? And what do we do in our relationship with one another? And then also in our relationship with those who have not been exposed to these truths yet or have not embraced them themselves. And so I'm going to kind of put a marker on that and and push that discussion to next week. And today we're really going to focus on what does it look like, the rescued? What is our relationship between one another? And honestly, if you talk about things that have uh, bothered us, I don't want to speak for all of us, but I know a lot of my friends and me for sure, things that have really bothered me and caused me trouble have a lot to do with not necessarily Jesus, but the people who claim him, you know, and the things that they do in his name or fail to do in his name that they should be doing in his name. Um, I mean, just, just real quick, when we moved to Northwest Arkansas, one of my first times to, to sit down and talk to Charlie, he said it this way, and he probably described it, what I was feeling in my heart better than I could have. He was like, yeah, I don't think y'all are like uh, church burnt, but y'all pretty toasty. You may need to just come and like sit in the back for a little while. This may be you this morning. You may need to come for a little while, just sit in the back, and we'll just, we'll take the butter knife and just kind of knock the, knock the toasty pieces off until you get to a better place. And he was, He was right. That's exactly where I was, and and I'll tell you why. I uh, my first, our first experience being on a, a church staff, uh, just I mean, a few months into it, there were you know, there's the, the main leader and kind of his second, and this this uh, associate pastor, he just started to teach some really dangerous theology that I knew was false, and at that time I was a, just a young dude, but I knew that that was harmful, and it was causing pain, and it was causing pain with some of my friend group. And so I'm the one that, that caught it and had to like go to the other leadership and say, hey, this is not good. Well, by the time it was finished, they had fired that guy, and that guy had a huge following. And so there was a major just church fight. And I was not wanting to be, but found myself right in the middle of it. And some of the meanest things that have been said to me have been said by other believers. Uh, some of the meanest things I've heard say person to person. Still today, relationships just ripped in half, and it hurt, and it left scars. Our second time didn't get much better. Our second time, the the lead pastor, uh, he retired, and he you know named the guy that, hey, I would, I would say this is probably the right guy, and the majority, vast majority of the church agreed, yeah, I think this is the guy. But in the block bylaws, you had to have a church vote, and there was a certain percentage, a really high percentage they had to hit. And uh, he had it, no choice, no, no doubt, because there were enough people that agreed. But the people who disagreed went into their neighborhoods, went into the town, and the morning of the vote brought everyone that they could, people who had never been to church, to vote that morning, and they won it by 1%. And so now, and then they went away, and now you got a church that wanted. it, but, but now what are we going to do? So the whole time was trying to deal with that issue. Eventually, he actually became the pastor, but man you're talking about scars. And so I get it. Yeah, this this discussion of what the church is and what it's not and what we do and what's happening out there. And so for this morning, I want to talk about us, this this family, the rescued. What does it mean for us to to be a family? And I I want to do that by looking at 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter's Really, the book that I think uh, just most clearly gives a picture of this, because Peter is writing to multiple persecuted communities, church communities, to encourage them towards a better understanding of this, this new hope, this new identity, this new family that they now have in Jesus. And, uh, and he says some really critical things for us. And so I'll just jump right in. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, uh, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again, I uh, I know that might be a triggering word for some. Uh, it's a little bit of a triggering word for me. In fact, I haven't I haven't used that word in a long time because there's there's some some baggage there. And usually I, I would say we, 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 you know, we try to steer away from words that have a lot of baggage and try to redefine them or use a different term so that we can, we can give the right term, you know, understanding of it so that we communicate well. But this morning, I'm going to do this with a few different words. You know what? It, it, multiple times this says born again. And there's some power when you think about that a group of people who was dead in their sin and trespasses, who is now alive, this resurrected Jesus. They have new life. They are a new creation. They are rescued, and they're together. They are born again. And if you look at the way he starts, it's like, blessed be to the God and Father, this this living hope. And it's worth just saying, y'all, that the part of this redeemed group together is that we celebrate that and we remind one another of these three things we just talked about the last three weeks and how incredible this mercy and grace that we have in Jesus is, how incredible this good God that loves us is. And if we're not careful, if we let a little time pass and we don't remind one another, we'll forget. We will. People forget. I forget. Last week I was talking to several people who had been sick and had colds and things like that and they were kind of coming out of it. And I remember, you know what normally happens to me? I have these horrible colds and I hate it and I can't breathe and your snot's going everywhere and then it goes away. And you give me, I mean, a day of none of that and I'll forget what it's like not to be able to breathe until I get the cold again. And then I'm like, oh man, here we go again. You know, Uh, I got a buddy in here that had shoulder surgery. I was talking to him, you know, before long, he's going to be back, and that shoulder's going to be better than ever. And he's, he's going to forget what it feels like right now when he can't use it. A c- couple years ago, I uh, was in the backyard, and I reached down. This is what it's like to get old. I, I reached down, and, and just to turn the faucet on, and a muscle in my back popped. And I hit the ground, laid out in the backyard for a long time before I, I was just trying to trying to get up. And I, we had, like, one of those little redneck pools back there, and I was behind it. And uh, so the family couldn't even see me. It was just like I just disappeared. <laughs> And so I'm just laying on the ground in the yard going, how am I going to stand up? And, uh, no, and, you know, for a good month, I couldn't get up. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't do I couldn't do anything. And then it went away. And I forgot how, bad, how much I needed that little muscle until it popped again. When it popped the second time, I'm like, oh, here we go. Yeah, I need that thing. And what will happen to the redeemed is that we'll embrace the grace and the mercy of, of, of God and then... We'll just start to kind of sit in it and soak in it, and before long, we'll forget about it. He starts out, blessed be the God and the Father. We have been born again. And one of the key things about this community, about a community of faith, is that we have to remember how how incredible our God is. And then later on in, in chapter one, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth toward, for, a sincere Brotherly love. All right, there's another, another a sincere and authentic brotherly love. Now, maybe you're new around here and you haven't picked this up yet. If you've been here for a while, you know we don't walk around necessarily calling each other brother and sister. Hey, brother, good morning. Honestly, it wigs me out a little bit, the places I've been that have been like that. I was talking to a guy this week that was dropping the brother word a lot. Not bro, not dude, like like brother. And it just is like, oh, oh okay, I, I, think, I think I'm okay with that. I, you know, I, I'll call you bro, I'll call you sis, but, man, it feels kind of funny when we talk, talk about the brethren. Uh, but in truth, the family, you're my brother. Let, let that sit for a second. You're my sister. I'm your brother. This is what God's word says about us as the redeemed. We're a family. We're a family, and it's an authentic love. And he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been, here's that word again, born again. And then it describes this new birth, this new life that's eternal. It's not perishable. It's imperishable. This is spiritual, eternal life, this eternal family that we have in this room together, brothers and sisters, forever. So the first big thing, you know, this week is, man, this new life means a new family. A new family. You know, one of those little-known facts about, about me, if we were at a party and we were doing the two truths and a lie thing, I'd probably throw out is... Uh, Actually, back in the day, started a fraternity. Uh, Kind of, kind of a a crazy deal. In fact, I saw their their newest pledge class the other day, and it's it's huge, and it's and it's doing great. By the time I was a senior, I wasn't even. It started as a sophomore. By the time I was a senior, I wasn't even involved. Uh, Didn't want to be in one. I uh, I was playing football, and that was really my group of guys. That was my community. Terry and I were engaged my sophomore year. you know, we, I, if I wasn't at school or on the football field, I was home with her. I was around her. And so it was like, what? you know, I, I wasn't trying to be social or anything like that. But my roommate and the other guys that I knew really didn't have that. And they were always talking about how they didn't have it. And there wasn't a frat that really would, would help them with that and help them in their growth with God. And so, so we started one. And the fun of getting to start one is that that whole pledge week thing, you don't have to do it. You get to make it. You get to do it to others. And I don't think—I know this is recorded. I don't think that this will get back to them. I hope it doesn't hurt something. But uh, I think it's probably illegal now anyway. They probably can't do it. Uh, but we sat together in a room and started coming up with what Pledge Week was going to look like. And we decided we weren't going to like you know hit each other or do anything like that—physical pain and harm. But we were going to do some mental anguish. And so, and it was going to be all about trust. And so the first night, y'all, uh, as, as good as a bunch of 20-year-old dudes could do, we went into the locker room bathroom, and we cleaned it. And then we came in, and we got some buckets with some clean water, and we actually put them in the toilets. And then we got bananas and, uh, and put bananas in the, in the buckets, and then we blindfolded them and walked them into the bathroom and made them kneel in front of the, the toilet and told them to reach in and grab what was in there and take a bite. If you trust us, you will do this. If you don't, go home. And they did it. They did it, y'all. I can't believe they did it. We also, kind of the final night, they had to break into the president's office and steal something off his desk. And we had already talked to him, so we knew it was coming. But we played the whole thing up. They got arrested and all these things. And then that was the final. Hey, yeah, you're a part of the frat, you know? What would drive somebody... So maybe you've done some things like, I don't know, what would drive somebody that yearning for true community, for authentic brotherly love? What would drive it? I mean, we don't do that here at the Grove, in case you were wondering. We don't have that. That's not part of the initiation (laughs) process. But man, we, we have it. Jesus shed his blood, took the punishment to make us right before God. And we have that in common. And that is a bond that's bigger than any other bond we could have. You know, I look around this room, and y'all, there's folks I have a few things in common with outside here, but there's a lot of folks I don't have anything in common. There's a lot of things that we disagree on. You might not like me at all, or, or care about the things that I care about. When I throw out my stories and talk about wrestling or indie, you may think, man, I don't have anything in common with this dude. Yes, you do. If you're in this room and you're rescued also, we've got a bond and nothing else with no other thing that I do in my life that I connect with. We are connecting around the person and the work of Jesus. And that's, that's it. You're my family. And that should mean something. And then uh, in chapter 2, he says this. And I'm going to give you a little section here just because it sets up something. And it also says some really, really key things. So just look at these words. As you come to him, Jesus... A living stone. This is who he is. Talking about the, the construction of something here. The living stone. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And you yourselves like living stones. He's the living stone. We'll see in a second. He's the cornerstone. We also, as living stones, are being built up. God is doing something. He is building this, this spiritual house. Jesus is the cornerstone. We're also the stones uh, that, are, that are living stones that are being built into this house. To be a holy, holy set-apart priesthood, that means that we have this purpose on the planet. These rep- his representatives, these duties uh, in the spiritual side of things in, the, in this world. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So He's the cornerstone. And then those who believe, they are living stones then it goes on so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe so again we'll talk more about that next week but there are two groups there's the group that has believed and received this and there's those that that haven't been exposed to it or haven't received it the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone it's talking specifically here about about Israel's rejection of the messiah he's become the cornerstone but to those who don't believe a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, basically this, this incredible grace and mercy of God, your response to that is either you receive it and you embrace it and you hold on for dear life or that grace and mercy is just too big and you can't get over yourself enough to receive it and it becomes a stumbling block. Um, they stumble because they disobey the word and as they were destined to do. But... You, brothers and sisters, the family of God at the Grove Church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. A chosen race. All right, again, here's something that we don't necessarily like to talk about this idea. Chosen and uh, this is the way I like to, to deal with these kind of topics that are big. If you know anything, this is kind of a big divisive, divisive topic. You know, you've got God choosing and then people making some kind of choice or being involved in it. And I've got, you know, tons of friends and have looked at things on this side and for sure, God, God chooses. And then at the same time, we talked about those who believe and those who don't believe and that this salvation is, is available to all. And so, yes, and, and, and yes, and we could, we could talk about that, but in the warmth of the fire, that it's true that God has made salvation available. And if you're in this room this morning and you know him and you've been redeemed, you can consider yourself chosen. A chosen, picked out and chosen race. Race, another word, you know, it could cause some trouble. This, this word is uh, genos uh, in the Greek, genos, DNA, blood. You are chosen blood relatives. The blood of Jesus in our veins unites us as a family. We are a chosen race, a royal, talking about this, this king. We are part of this kingly family, this kingly priesthood, again, with duties, the spiritual duties on the planet, a holy, set-apart nation. That's ethnos. So the so first one, genos, more blood. Ethnos is more our culture, our agreed-upon norms, the way that we approach life. It's holy. It's set-apart. It's different. We're a holy nation. We're a people. That's laos. That's more like, man, people gather together. We, we meet together. We're connected. We're doing life together for his own possession. A tra- race A chosen race, a royal royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's who we are. And then look what it says. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So a rescued people who who have come out of darkness and moved into the marvelous light. And we get to proclaim that. And again, we'll talk about that next week. And then it says, once you were not a people before, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So mercy has united us by blood, by choice, and by purpose. We're family. And that word nation, you know, uh, it gets thrown around a lot now too it usually has to, it seems like with sport teams and things we are going to talk about the Razorback Nation that comes up a lot I'm I'm a card carrying member I don't know about you Go Hogs amen uh from the time I was little I mean I, I get excited about game day I, I watch in anticipation if we we're not doing well it bothers me if, we, if we're doing good it makes me happy you know I mean I I'm a part of that I, mean, I remember a couple of years ago we weren't doing so well and it was uh, like halftime, and Terry wanted to go to Walmart, and so got my, my, my hog gear on. We're walking through Walmart at halftime, and there's this other older fella, and he's following his wife through Walmart, and we're both just kind of walking like this, and, and uh, I don't know this guy from anybody, and he looks over at me, and he says, pretty sad. Game day, we're at Walmart. said, you're right. It is pretty sad. Felt like we were. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, but you know... I am. I'm, I'm part of the. I'm part of the Razorback Nation. Now, are there some some people who also are part of the Razorback Nation that I don't necessarily want to associate myself with? Are there some things that are said out there uh, that I don't necessarily agree with? Are there some things I wish we would do that we don't do, and things? Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I'm still a Hog fan. You're not gonna. You're not gonna separate me from that, or from being a part of of this group of people who also woo pig it. You know. I'm part of that. And a lot of times, you know, we look out there at at what's happening somewhere else, and then we, again, the fire goes out. (laughs) The fire is that this Jesus has redeemed us. And then we start to figure out what this looks like to be a a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But it begins in the immediate family. And it seems like the mistake that we make is we, we make it really personal and we try to do church alone, which is just breaks the whole definition down. You, it, it, the, you don't do the family thing alone. That's, that's living by yourself. <laughs> we, 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 do, we do it in the household of God as a family. If you're by yourself, it's really difficult to have any accountability because you're just looking at yourself in the mirror. It's really difficult for somebody on your TV screen to hold you accountable. That, it, it's just not there. It's really difficult to, to walk out these commands of brotherly love if you're by yourself. I know the idea of that's great, and there's a lot of great things that could happen, and, and education and growing and, and learning out on the, on the deer stand, as my friends used to say. That's great, man, you can. But th- it's limited, right? Because that deer is not going to rebuke you when you step out of line, <laughs> right? And, and that's the reason it's fun and easy, because there's not that accountability. There's not the hardship of loving one another. Or we start to look at the church universal, the big family. And we go, well, that, they're not doing that right, or they're not doing that right, or they should do that, or we should do this. And we get distracted by what's out there. And the beauty of that is if you're always looking out there and you're pointing the finger at somebody else, the finger's never pointing back at you. And where it really has to start, personal is important, universal's critical. But where it has to start is in the immediate family. What do we do? the rescued, the redeemed, the church of Jesus Christ at the Grove in the Mermaids Building and on College Avenue in Fayetteville, Arkansas, what do, what do we do? How do we love one another? How do we act out these things that God has called us to? How do we embody our Jesus on the planet? How do we become his hands and his feet? How do, how do we do that? How do we love one another that way? And so as much as any of these, I think, I mean, there's some, there's some practical things here. Every one of us, no matter, no matter how long you've been here, if this is your first day, or if you've been here for a while, there are some steps that, that you can take. Maybe it's just, you know what? I haven't been very committed to be here on Sundays. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ramp that up. I want to be with the family. And when I'm here, I want to proclaim and remember what our God has done when we sing. And I want to interact with people. I don't want to just come in and, and sit and then leave. I want to find somebody that I don't know and talk to them, or find somebody that I do know and make sure that their week's gone well. That's the purpose, by the way, of these, these Grove groups that we started at the end of the year last year. And I'm going to keep on pressing them. And if you got that email and you got some names and there's somebody on there that you don't know, maybe your step is I'm going to reach out and try to know them. If you got questions about that, this week in the uh, email that goes out on Wednesdays, I'm going to put the link to a podcast that we did where we really talk about that on our Cultivate podcast. Uh, maybe, maybe that's a step, An, I mean, a, a first step. And maybe it's a, a jump. Maybe it's a leap for you. But what's the step? Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's commitment, recommitment to your small group and the people that are there. I don't know. What I'm going to ask you in the next few minutes is, as we sing these songs, to think and to ask, God, what would it be for me to remember that this is my family? What would it mean for me to love them more? And to take this whole incredible redeemed group that you have made and care about it in the same way that you do, in the way that you want me to. All right, let me pray. Father, I, uh, I do, I, I think this is, uh, know that this is just really, really important to you. And um, I'm part of it. I'm, I'm part of the, the culture that uh, just doesn't really know how to do community that well and wants to just live behind my privacy fence and behind my closed garage doors because I don't, I don't know and it makes me uncomfortable to open my life up to others and, uh, and so busy that I don't know where that would even fit in the margins of my life. And yet, all along, you're screaming, this is your people. This is your nation. This is your family. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us and help us to take some baby step, some step forward, that this core truth would be true in this place, and that you would use the Grove Church to make your name great. Amen.